More pressure is being heaped on Pharmac over its brand switch of epilepsy drugs. The chief coroner has announced she is launching an investigation into four deaths linked to Logam, a brand of lamotrigine. Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail... For anybody who saw me during the time where I was suffering from the side effects, they would all agree there was no way that that the physical side effects I was having was in my mind. I asked why the change would be made. He said they stopped using the other one because the pricing and this new brand was cheaper. I was not aware of the plan change. To the best of my recollection, I became aware of the plan change you know, at some stage in, in early 2020. Making sense of a convoluted story which cuts to the core of the issues our drug-buying agency faces. I'm speaking to RNZ's Guyon Espiner about his 18 months of reporting on the epilepsy drug brand switch, which may have contributed to the deaths of six people. To make that call for a vulnerable patient group to save $30 million when experts in your own country and overseas are saying it's too risky, yeah, it's a big call and one that I wouldn't have made. The main player in this story is a drug and that drug is called lamotrigine. Here's Guy on Espiner. Well, this is, is a drug that's used for epilepsy and also for some mental health conditions like bipolar. So it's a, an AED, an anti-epileptic drug, and it's used for seizure control and to prevent seizures in epileptics. That's largely the, the context in which it's been uh, discussed and the major problems that eventuated from it were among the epileptic community. Lamotrigine is the drug name, but it's sold under a bunch of different brand names. And this might seem a bit confusing, but really it isn't. The brand names, uh, Lamictal, Arrow and Logam, these are like the brand names for different types of paracetamol, Tylenol, Panadol, Pamol. They're all the same drug, they're just sold under different names. Uh, the originator brand was a GSK drug called Lamictal, and so they're the ones who came up with this, and they were the, the first ones who, who got the patent. And then there were two other generic drugs that were used uh, by epileptic patients in New Zealand, one called Arrow and one which is uh, called Logam, and so they were the generic um, copies, if you like, of, of this original drug. This is a common thing in the world of drug development. A pharmacological company develops a new type of medication. Because they created it, they have the chemical patent to that drug, meaning only they can manufacture it for a certain period of time. This means they can make lots of money. Once a drug's patent lapses, other companies can essentially copy that formula, just like you could copy a chef's recipe. And the uh, people who come along and make the copies or generics don't have to go through the same rigorous trials as the originators do. They have to show that it's bioequivalent, that basically they've made the same thing. And then it gets tested. Is this pretty much the same drug? Do, is it going to work in the same way? And if so, in the New Zealand context, it has to be um, shown to MedSafe, which is the, um, the regulator or the, or the watchdog of medicine, medicine safety. And if they can show that, then they're allowed to market it. And that's been the case with those generics. So it's mid-2019. At this point, more than 10,000 people in New Zealand are taking lamotrigine to manage epileptic seizures. 
The vast majority of those people are taking the Lamictal or the Arrow brands, and a few people are taking it as Logam. But in August, an announcement is made. Soon, people who need to take Lamotrigin will only be able to get it as Logam. So this happened in the last quarter of 2019, that the actual uh, switch took effect, I think October of 2019. And the idea was that they would be able to save $30 million over five years by doing this. It was cheaper. It was cheaper. It was done to save money. One one of the major ways that Pharmax saves money is by doing what's called a brand switch. They do it about 60 times a year. So you've got people taking a drug, in this case lamotrigin, and you go, okay, well, let's put this out to tender and see whether we can get a cheaper deal to, to do it. And you will give them monopoly supply, what's called sole supply status. So the advantage for the company, obviously, is they get the whole market Mm -hmm. and they're willing to provide it at a a cheaper price. And so Mylan won that uh, tender, if you like. Mylan, remember, is the company that manufactures Logam. Uh, and so its drug Logan was selected by Pharmac to be the sole supply. So that was the only one they were going to fund. They had been funding three brands, mm-hmm. Lamictal, Arrow, and Logan. Then they say, okay, we're only going to fund the one brand. So if you're on Lamictal, you'd have to either pay, continue to pay for it yourself, which could be pretty expensive, mm-hmm. or you switch over to the publicly funded brand. So it was done... To save money, in in very simple terms, and as I say, the idea was they would save $30 million over five years, and that money wasn't going to be pocketed by Pharmac. They were going to then spend it on on other drugs. They've got a capped budget, as you probably know, of roughly a billion dollars. And so they to, to, to actually get more money to spend on new drugs and flash new drugs that come along, they have to make savings elsewhere unless they get a budget increase. The budget increases from national and labour governments have been minuscule, mm. you know, 1% sometimes, very tiny increments, sometimes no money at all. Mm. And so to free up money, they have to do this. And they're good at it. You know, they, they, their model is, is quite... It's quite sophisticated and very effective at driving the cost down. Mm. And and look, let's not be naive about um, you know the prices that drug companies charge are astronomical, you know. And do they pr- price gouge? In my view, probably probably do. So this system has been very effective at driving down the cost of drugs. That, that's great. Um, the problem you get into is as a, a consumer or as a patient of this medicine, if you're stabilised on a particular drug, it can be quite difficult to change. Mm-hmm. And the argument with this drug is, has it actually had the same therapeutic effect? It's bioequivalent. It seems to be the same um, composite um, parts of it. It seems to be the same thing. But does it work in the same way? On paper, it's a pretty pretty on, perfect solution. Paper. isn't it because yeah. and and I don't I don't think a lot of people would argue with the fact that generic drugs have been fantastic for the world and if if you and I are taking um, a particular drug or if it's, it's something benign or aspirin or whatever it is that is works exactly the same way well, well who cares do you need a flash brand not necessarily and if we can save um, valuable health dollars by doing that I think it's difficult to argue with that and generic drugs have been fantastic in bringing you know developing countries access to life-saving medicines and even in our own country that that model has has worked very well the question is is when you've got a vulnerable patient group or a drug that is quite sensitive and quite nuanced in terms of the way it works should you be doing that and this 
brings us exactly to this particular example because in a lot of the countries we compare ourselves to, they don't do this mm. with anti-epileptic drugs. In Britain, there's a certain class of, of, of drugs, they call this a Category 2 drug, where you're not supposed to switch it without expert consultation with a physician. You you don't just switch a population over to it because they call it um, an NTI or a narrow therapeutic index window. In other words, it's a pretty sensitive thing between a toxic dose and a therapeutic dose or it's it's a fine line between having too much of it and having too little. Mm. And so that's the way they see it. The Americans see it in the same way. MedSafe wanted to align with that and said, look, don't do this because it could be dangerous as a safety risk. And Pharmac went ahead anyway and did it. Pharmac knew there would be clinical reasons why some epilepsy patients would not tolerate a change to their medicines, but went ahead with a switch that forced more than 10,000 people to change brands of the anti-epileptic drug Lamotrigin. The Guild opposed the proposed switch due to concern for the vulnerable patients affected by epilepsy and bipolar disorder and the reports from our members of problems and negative experiences in relation to earlier brand switches. It's been abysmal. It is as if Pharmac didn't know the code of patient rights existed. And Pharmac has trod all over that and has ignored it. And you don't treat people like that, particularly vulnerable health patients. So, to recap, epilepsy medication is an extremely finely balanced thing. MedSafe advised against this change happening. The Pharmacy Guild opposed it, but Pharmac went ahead and did it anyway. Why? To be fair to Pharmac, they did quite a lot of consultation in this and they delayed the rollout of this plan while they did do that. They have a, um, a subcommittee, uh, a specialist subcommittee, the Neurological Committee, and they also combined and created a special committee which uh, took in mental health considerations because it's used for bipolar and other mental health disorders as well. And so they had their specialist committee look at it and they say they did take the advice from MedSafe, they just didn't act on it, but mm. they did listen to it, I guess. And they went out to the sector and they went out to... Um, you know, to specialists in the area and to cons the consumer groups, if you like, or the Epilepsy New Zealand, those kinds of groups, and pharmacists, and got feedback, some positive, some negative, and weighed it all up, looked at the savings, looked at the potential safety risk, and, and, and pressed, the, pressed the green light. And Pharmac can just do that. They can, they can act unilaterally, I suppose, like any decision-making body. They take advice from different groups, but when it comes down to brass taxes, they make the call. Yeah, they do, and they've got extraordinary power. Like they're exempt from the um, Commerce Act, for example. Mm -hmm. So they were allowed to create a monopoly situation, which, as you know, you can't do in most sectors, so they're, they're exempt from that. They've got a lot of power in that respect. This one was a bit different because they, they chucked it up to the board because they were going against the advice of MedSafe. They put it right up to, to, to the board, so the Pharmac board, chaired by Steve Mahari, uh, approved it. So that was an unusual one. They knew that this was um, a risky decision. And when you look back at all the OIA material on it, which I've dug out over the months that I've been looking at this, it was really important to them because they could see that there was going to be a big saving, a big monetary saving. And they thought that there could be other potentially other anti-epileptic drugs and other types of drugs that they would be able to follow a similar model on. Mm. So this was a really important one to them, and you can really see when you go through the paperwork that they were really pretty determined. I'm not going to say reckless. Some would argue that. I don't think that they were reckless. Um, they were pretty determined to push it through, and you'd have to say they took 
you know, it's high stake stuff. If, if the medicines watchdog, the you know, the the regulators saying, don't do this. This mm-hmm. is against international best practice, and they have not changed their mind on that. They sat in the inquest and said the same thing. We didn't think Pharmac should do it. Medsafe said it's against international best practice. There's a potential safety risk, and Pharmac went ahead anyway. So the switch happens in what late 2019. Um, if everything had gone fine, we obviously wouldn't be sitting here, but everything didn't go fine. What happened from there? Well, quite soon after that, we started to get a considerable number of complaints to CALM, which is the alert system based in, in Dunedin at Otago University and connected with MedSafe. MedSafe uh, contracts them, them out to do this work, and that's the adverse reporting um, group. And we had a number of people saying that they had had breakthrough seizures, that they had their epilepsy under control on their original brand, and when they'd switched over, they had had seizures. Um, In all, we had about 200 of those, and then we had uh, about three deaths um, of people who had switched over, and then MedSafe put out another alert saying, look, this should be prescribed by brand and not um, just um, disregarded in, fa- in terms of these drugs aren't potentially, um, you know, may not work in the, sa- in the same way. And then we had Pharmac basically pull the handbrake on in about mid-November and say, OK, look, we will fund you to stay on your original brand if you're having issues with it. Mm. So they, they did a, they did a, back, a backtrack, basically. The strongest evidence yet that Pharmac's brand switch of epilepsy drugs may have been a factor in fatal seizures was heard at an inquest today. The inquest is looking into the death of six patients who died after the brand of drug changed. Paediatric neurologist Cynthia Sharp said she had serious concerns the brand switch was a factor in the deaths. It is indisputable that if Pharmac institutes 60 generic drug switches every year, generally selecting the cheapest available drug, that some of those drugs, despite evidence of bioequivalence, will prove to be not therapeutically equivalent. We have no system to monitor therapeutic non-equivalence, and in my opinion, this cannot be discounted as a root cause of the deaths. And that has led to an inquest, essentially, into whether the switch played a part in the people who died who switched over this medication. Yeah, that's right. The chief coroner in December of 2019, it's taken a while to, to actually um, you know, get its hearing, but the chief coroner, Deborah Marshall, decided in December 2019, after six people had died, that she was going to, to open an inquest into what role, if any, the brand switch had in the deaths of six people. Is that a lot, six people? Well, yeah, I mean, it's and that, that is a good question. The experts say that around 10 people die of SUDEP uh, every year. SUDEP is an acronym, Sudden Unexpected Death in Epilepsy. But it did seem to be... Uh, at least according to one neurologist who who gave evidence at the inquest, to be a spike Mm. in in her view, that if you looked at the number of people taking lamotrigin, um, that this was a disproportionate number of deaths and adverse reactions in a a short time. You said earlier when you were describing uh, Pharmac's decision-making that you wouldn't describe it as reckless, but some people might. And you've been following this story for 18 months, close to two years now? I mean, what is your analysis of, having heard the evidence, what is your analysis of the competing arguments here? Yeah, well, look, you know, 
if you're looking at this decision and you're going, uh, we'd like to make a saving, but for four or five or six years previously, our expert committee has told us don't do this with um, epileptic drugs. The rest of the world doesn't really do it. It is a bit sensitive, right? And that is the truth that these, these the expert subcommittees, I can't remember the exact dates, but it was like 2009, 2010 and 2011, 2012, something around that, and again in 2015. You know, they've been told four or five times by their experts not to do it. In 2019, they get the green light for it from their expert subcommittee, but MedSafe is saying, look, don't do it. The Brits don't do it. America doesn't do it. It's just too finely balanced here. You shouldn't really be, you shouldn't be doing this. It's, it's, it's a risk. Now, to to st- turn around and make the call that you're going to go ahead anyway, I didn't use the word reckless because they had done a lot of research, you know, so it wasn't just out on a limb, oh, let's do this. But you'd have to say that that is a pretty big call to make. You know, these are high stakes. These are people who are vulnerable, and a lot of them were stabilised on their existing brand. And even if you can go, oh, well, technically it should be fine, it should be okay, when you're weighing that up against the human cost... You know, even if it's a, in a small amount of people, then you but know. But that's what they do. W- well, it is, but it, you, not to people who are, have their condition under control already. It's a very different thing, and I put it to you this way: like, okay, if if you come up with drug B that's going to um, have a, make a massive difference for people with cystic fibrosis, but it costs four hundred thousand dollars a year, I can go away and say, yeah, but we just can't afford that. When you look at X, Y, and Z competing. Um, you know, priorities in the health system. It's very different if I've got a patient population who are stabilised and doing okay at the moment, and then I want to take something off them to save money. That, to me, is a different moral and ethical dilemma. So I'm not, uh, you know, and I would say, um, in a personal opinion, from an ethical position, I I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I wouldn't have done that. You know, and 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 that's just my my ethical, moral framework as a citizen and as a journalist. You know, as we know, I'm not an expert on, on any of the science on it, but if you're looking from a an ethical, moral framework, to make that call for a vulnerable patient group to save $30 million when experts in your own country and overseas are saying it's too risky, that, to me, is... Yeah, it's a big call and one that I wouldn't have made. But it's, I mean, it's easy. I take your point. But, you know, we as private citizens who don't work for Pharmac can do that. But they have to make these calls. And I guess that's the balance that they have to strike in everything that they do, Pharmac. I mean, you've been reporting on Pharmac for a long time. A lot of people um, think that you bully Pharmac or that you're mean to them. Um, I'm sure that you've heard that criticism. Mm. They do have a really tough job, though, don't they? They absolutely do, and I think they do a very good job at a lot of elements of that. Where I would question it is, is the government starving them of money and forcing them to be too aggressive in their in their brand switches? We saw, and that's what it boils down to. We saw the same with Avenlafaxin, I think it's called. I might have got that name wrong. They're almost impossible to pronounce. <laughs> um, they've done it with a number of vulnerable patient groups, and mental health has been one of them, and we've seen it with this one too, and this one has caused a real problem. 
are they being starved of funds too much to and and making them too aggressive on that? And well, you'd have to say this is an aggressive brand switch, isn't it? When when you've when you when you've got evidence and you've got advice like that, and you're still willing to go ahead, then that tells you something, doesn't it? I was going to make that point, These are not bad people. These are good-hearted people uh, driven by science making these decisions in the public interest. I don't think that there's some sinister agenda behind it at all. Um, I I think it's driven by the fact that, you know, I'm not going to give you any more money, guys. You're going to have to make savings within your own organisation. Go out and do it. Because there's lots of other drugs knocking on the door. And so if you put that pressure on people and they're going, gee, there's $30 million over here, then that is going to really drive you. And and my question and the question lying behind my reporting on this, and I haven't been hugely critical of other elements of the Pharmac model, but I, I've, I've zeroed in on this and kept going on this story because I wonder whether we've, been, we've put so much pressure on Pharmac that they've had to be too aggressive on their cost-saving mentality. Well, if they're going against MedSafe advice to save six million bucks a year, that tells you something. Well, it does. And, you know, even one or two adverse... We call them adverse events. But, you know, I mean, if someone bloody dies or someone has a seizure... I had an interview with a guy who had a um, lost seizure control in the Waterview Tunnel in his car and woke up having smashed into the into the wall. And he had changed over to this brand... Can I prove that that was the cause of it? No, I can't. But even if you, if if some experts are saying, look, this could mean loss of seizure control, which sounds fairly benign to you and I, but that is your life tipped upside down. And if that yeah. is hovering in the background, I yeah. suppose, of every moment of your life. Yeah, and you're going to go, you know, if it, you've got to weigh that up against the, the cost saving. And as, as we've seen, it, it hasn't worked out for them. I, I think that they, look, I'll say, I think they got this wrong. I do. I think they got it wrong, which is why I've kept banging on about it, because I think they got it wrong. They looked at the, the balance of it, and they looked at the saving, but given the, the weight of advice, and I mean that, the weight of the advice, like MedSafe, not some you know uh, community group who had a, an opinion, but MedSafe and international advice, and said, oh, look, we know better, we're going to do it. And I think they got that wrong. Early in March, the government announced the terms of reference for an independent review into Pharmac. However, this review won't be looking at the size of the organisation's budget. An interim report is due in August, and a final report in December. The verdict of the coroner's case is due in a few months' time. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Alex Aylett McMillan and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to RNZ's Guy on Espiner. Kaki te anō. <laughs>